Welcome to the weekly sermon by Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our special speaker. This was Ryan's vision for Kingdom Youth Conference, so I want you to give a warm welcome to Ryan Edberg as he comes up and speaks to us today. Thank you, John. Well, it's a privilege to be here this morning with you guys. You guys have always been a huge blessing to us in Kingdom Youth. This is our third year working with John, our second year here at your church. So thank you very much for opening up uh, the church to us. Uh, I love that we got to be here on your close to birthday. And I love the pictures and the wait, 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 wait. Kind of remind me of my relationship with God. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. No, not yet. No, you're not ready. Wait, wait. Just kidding. I'm excited that you guys are doing a fast. I decided that I was going to join in on your fast, so while you guys are fasting, I'm going to give up Brussels sprouts. Um, That's just something that's really near and dear to my heart. And um, my mother's here. I'm not too old to be put over your knee. (laughs) Well, it is a privilege to be here. My name is Ron Edberg. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and... um, I'm married with four kids. I'm a little bit older than I look, and it is just a privilege to be doing Kingdom Youth Conference. We do about 15 of these all over the U.S., and Houston is obviously one of our favorites, probably just because we get to work with John and hang out, but um, really, God is doing something in this generation, and a lot of people talk about this as, you know, just a hopeless generation. I believe that this is a generation that we really need to go after because we're one generation away from extinction in the church if we don't get it right. You know, we've got our, our students leaving the church at a fast rate, and and we really say not on our watch. So... We, we really are going after this generation, and we believe that this is a generation that's going to stand up and actually do something. And so we, we've seen it this weekend. We've seen it all over. You know, we'll be next week in Oklahoma. And again, the, the altars will be flooded with just uh, hundreds of students just worshiping God. And it's powerful to see that there is hope for a generation, that there is students that will stand up and say, I'm going after God. This morning, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about faith because it should be at the center of everything that we do. It should be our life's motto, should be faith. And so, was there a picture of me up there behind? I just saw everybody looking over there and then a big head real quick. And But faith is, is what we're talking about and just where I want to go, and I started just research um, the Bible, because this weekend we talked about um, perceptions and stuff with the students, and just um, knowing who you are in Christ, but sometimes we hear, we read the Bible, and we get a different idea of what we're even talking about. Like, we read the the story of the Israelites, and, and we see them wandering in the desert for 40 years, and so we assume that God wanted them to wander in the desert for 40 years, and we have to read the scripture and really figure out what's going on. Um, and, and so I wanted to just talk a little bit about that this morning, because uh, some of us today might feel like we're on this hamster wheel in life or in this desert place or like, God, why have you brought me here out into the desert? Well, I guess you took the, the Israelites and had them wander for 40 years and and we just get this mindset of just 
putting up with something because we think that it's God's will for our life. And so we just kind of sit back and we settle for something when it's not really where God wants us. When God's trying to push us and take us to something better. I don't know if you've ever looked at, um, on a map and figured out where um, Egypt is compared to Israel. I had no clue. I started to research this. Did you know this like 220 to 230, 40 miles away? I didn't even know that. But this, the, the word says that there's 600,000 men leaving Egypt. 600,000. Most scholars will say that would equal about 2 million people with women and children. And now put their cattle on top of it. Because I just want you to get a picture in your head of all of the, the miracles that God did. Because when I was young, I had this picture Bible. And uh, anybody had a picture Bible? It was amazing. But after looking back at it, I was like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not real. I mean, when Moses is splitting the water and he hit the rock, and then in my picture Bible had this stream of water and everybody's getting a drink. Think of two million people. That picture is inaccurate. It was probably the side of a mountain split and created a lake for two million people and animals to get a drink. I mean, these weren't little miracles. These weren't like, oh, man, he just hit the right spot. There was already water waiting there, and there's a cool water. This was a miracle. This was a miracle of God. You think of parting of the Red Sea. My, my Bible showed this, like, pretty much an aisle of the, down the church where there's part. Two million people crossing. It could have went 20, 30 miles. I don't even know how far it went back. Yeah, there wasn't probably dolphins just jumping across their head at the time when it happened. It was a big miracle to get that many people across on dry land. Did you know that with two million people with that distance, here's God's plan. Moses could have been entering into the promised land while people were still leaving Egypt. The front of the line could have been entering where they could have been. And we think, 40 years? Why are we wandering for 40 years? What is that? That's like, we're here, and we want to go to Dallas, but we decide to take the New York route. <laughs> and then just swing down through Miami. Maybe up into Canada. <laughs> and come back down into Dallas. That, that's the route that they had seemed to take. And I'm... I'm just praying through this, and I'm like, God, what's going on? What was happening with this? Like, why did they do this? And after looking at all of this, I started to read through the scriptures, and just stuff started to open up to me. You see, God's plan was never for them to wander for 40 years. That was never God's plan for them to do. Let me read a scripture for you here real quick in Exodus. It's Exodus 12, uh, 35 through 36. And it says, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. See, we read through this, this scripture, 
And we sometimes get in our head, well, God wanted them to wander for 40 years. But here, they, God set up where the promised land was less than a week's walk away, where they could have been entering while people are still exiting. And not only that, but he gave them gold, silver, and clean. He gave them everything that they ever needed right there to have a week's walk and enter into their promised land. That was God's plan. But what had held them back? You see, it wasn't just them leaving. What what had held them back is they came out of slavery. They came out of a situation where they were slaves for years and years, and they had this poverty mindset of, we're nothing. We can't do anything. We, We can't do this. How do I know that? Because God brought them up to the promised land and said, go in and take the land. And their first mistake was they said, well, let's send spies in. What are they saying? They're saying, God, we don't trust you to do this. We're saying, we we don't trust you to do this. We're going to send our own people in to see if it's even possible. God says, take the land. They say, we're going to send in 12 to see if we can even do this. Right there, they made their first mistake. You see, their faith held them back. And they came back and the spies reported. They said, we can't go in and do that. We are grasshoppers in their sight. You see, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Why? Because they came out of slavery. Go back when they were in Egypt, and it was plague after plague after plague. And I was saying, and every time you go and read that, there's a plague that happens, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I was like, why in the world would you do that, God? Why not plague one? Let my people go, okay. Would have been a shorter book shorter story. But what was God doing? He was building their faith. He was building their faith because he showed them miracle after miracle after miracle. He was building a track record with his people to say, well, here's a plague, but it didn't touch the Israelites. Here's a plague on the Egyptians, but it didn't touch the Israelites. Again, here's another plague, but it didn't touch his people. And what happened right away is they get released after the 10 plague. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They get up to the Red Sea, and the first thing that they say is, we're going to die. God has brought us out here to die. They get across the Red Sea, and they part it. They see their enemies swallowed up, and the next thing they say is, God's brought us out here to die and starve. We have no food. See, 40 years of wandering was really getting out the stinking thinking that they had of in poverty. The mindset that they had nothing. The mindset that they were nothing, that they were grasshoppers to everybody else. God was getting rid of the doubt and unbelief in a generation. You see, God's plan wasn't for them to wander for 40 years. His plan was to give them more than enough. His plan was not the desert. His plan was the land flowing of milk and honey. That was God's plan. And we see them wandering and we think, well, why did God do that? It was their unbelief that kept them wandering. It wasn't what God had for them. What I love about the story is they get on the other side and they start to complain about what they're going to eat. They start to complain about, well, what are we even going to do? And it says that God sent them manna. 
roughly translated, what is it? <laughs> they didn't even know what it was. So here's this miracle dew that feeds them every morning. It says that it tasted of honey. So I'm sure it was good. I love that about our God. That wasn't his plan, but he still provided for them every single day. Even though they were willing to wander and not go into what God had called them, he was still providing for them every single day. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, my favorite food is probably seafood. Um, Here in Texas, it's probably steak. If I don't say steak, you'll probably throw rocks at me. It's not nice. We're in church. But I don't know if I could eat my favorite food for 40 years straight. Whatever it is, I don't know if I could eat that same meal every single day. So there's this magical bread, and it says that whatever you, if you, those who had too much, or they gathered it, didn't have too much, and those who gathered too little didn't have too little. So this bread was truly a miracle from God. He wasn't just providing for them. He was showing them faith. He was showing them Build up your faith. Look what I can do. Every single morning, look what I can do for you. And then this bread, if you kept it for the next day, it says that it smelled bad and grew worms. Except for on the Sabbath, then you could keep it for a day, and for some reason, it did not smell bad and didn't grow worms. And then you're supposed to grab a jar of it and show it from generation to generation to generation of what God did. And that was just fine, too. See, it wasn't about the bread. It was about obedience. It was about obedience. But God had to get that poverty mindset. And I was like, God, why in the whole world? Why in the whole world would these people see a miracle after a miracle after a miracle and then come to you and say, God, where are you? You brought us out here to die. God, what are you doing? And he spoke to me and said, that's my church that's still my church. That's still my people. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? I don't see that. But yet, how many times in life do we come up to a situation and we say, God, where are you? God, I don't see you. God, I don't, I don't feel you. Where are you? Have you brought me here to die? Have you left me here, God? But yet, if we look in our past, has God ever let us down? Has God ever let us down? He's proven time and time and time again. What are the miracles in your life that were monuments, that were faith builders to you, that God wasn't just trying to get you a miracle, but trying to build your faith for the future? That when some little things come, we come to a situation where like, God was with me here, God was with me here, God was with me here. This looks very difficult, but I know that God will be with me there. We have all these different monuments in life of situations that God has stood with us and brought us through situations. No different than the Israelites. And when we come up to something, instead of saying, God, where are you? You've brought me here to die. God, you're not going to fix this marriage. God, you're not going to fix this job situation. God, my bank account doesn't look very good right now. Where are you? We say, look in the past, and God has never let me down. So this may look difficult right now, but my God is with me. I'm not a grasshopper in this situation. I can walk into the promised land of where God has. Because God has a promised land for each and every one of us. He doesn't want us wandering in this desert. Are you in the desert? Because I promise you, if you're in a desert place, it's not because God's put you there to teach you something, except for maybe building your faith. 
God is providing for you. And so we sometimes think, man, God's providing for me, but it's just enough for today. It's just enough for today. But that's not where God wants you. He's providing for you, but he's trying to get you the land flowing of milk and honey. Where you've plundered your enemies and into a promised land. God, the God of abundance. The God that can just breathe. We sang this song. Your breath just forms the galaxies and billions of stars are formed. And we're like, God, you can't provide my, my rent. It's $1,500. What am I going to do? What? You don't know the God that I know. When we started youth conferences, it was hard. And I was like, God, are you sure you have the right guy? Because you can look at my bank account, God, and I'm not qualified. I can't do it. God, if, if this is really you, you're going to have to do a miracle. And I look at my past, and God stood with me, and stood with me, and stood with me. And sometimes I still catch myself saying, God, this one looks rough. God, we're going to lose thousands of dollars. Where are you? Did you really want us to do this? And I'm reminded every time. He stood with me every single time and has never let me down. So why would I start to fear now? He's the God of more than enough. The God that wants to get us into our promised land. The God that needs our faith to work with it. But sometimes we just sit back and we're in fear. And the enemy will put fear on us every day. We're supposed to be a people that live by faith. And yet, sometimes we're people that live by fear. And fear and faith are opposite. You can't have the two. Every time that God will try to give you faith, the enemy will try to give you fear. And you have the option of which one to take. Except for the enemy works in the natural here. And so we can see, feel, touch, and see things. So it's more real to us instead of the supernatural. But what is more real? What came from what? Did the natural create the supernatural? Or did the supernatural speak and create everything that we see? What's the greater reality? You know, this body right here, um, although really strong and good looking, um, (laughs) is not much without the supernatural inside of it. The spiritual can live without this body, but this body cannot live without the spirit. If my spirit was to leave, this would just fall to the ground and just be a pile of dust. What's the greater reality? But because of our five senses, the devil will use that to say, man, you're not going to make it. Your bank account does not qualify you. Your marriage is rough. Don't, don't pray or it's not going to work. You're done for. And we get in this situation of just saying, I need to just go back to that slavery setting of I'm nothing. We need to go back to Egypt and die. Instead of moving forward and pushing past what God has for us. He's got something bigger for us than we can even imagine. The only limitations on God is you and your thinking. Your faith. You see, he works with your faith. I started to just start to research faith. And it blew my mind. You ever have one of those situations where God talked to you and it was so good that you had to write it down? Then you want to take credit for it. You're like, oh, that was me. (laughs) Just kidding, I don't either. (laughs) I was reading through and, and God is speaking to me about faith. And... I'm just writing stuff down, and I'm like, oh, 
that's a revelation. Oh, that's a revelation. And it was to me, you guys are probably like, I already know all that. But to me, it was like the light bulb had turned on in scripture that had been, you know, read a hundred times. And then finally it makes sense. And you're like, oh, it's alive. I want to read something to you in Romans 117. It says, and this says it many, many times, but I'm just going to read Romans 117 real quick. It says, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But before that, it says we live from faith to faith. You see, in life, we think that we're on this roller coaster ride that we go, you know, we're on this mountaintop. Okay, well, the valley is coming, but then we're at this mountaintop. And then, you know, that is not biblical. You're going to go through hard things, but this word says you're supposed to go from faith to faith. From mountaintop to mountaintop. You're supposed to go from faith to faith. The valley is the time, and we talk to the kids about this. We talk to it. You have this supernatural experience at Kingdom Youth or at youth group or at something or at church. You guys get this moment where you're spending time with God. God speaks to you, and you feel like, I can take over the world. I can do anything. I'm ready to conquer the world. Just put, and then next week, you're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? I'm going to lose. This is a bad, and then something happens, you're like, I can do it. It's not supposed to be like that. What happens? When you're spending time with God, you feel victorious. When you go back to the normal, things go back to normal. It's not supposed to, it's not this big mystery. How much time are you spending with God? Why do I say that? Because how do we, we're supposed to live by faith. So what is faith? How do we get faith? Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. How do we get faith? Spend time with God. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his words. If you want faith, build up your faith. You know, I was reading through the gifts that God gives us, and there was a gift of faith in there. You ever met somebody that just annoys you because they just have faith? (laughs) I do. I'm like, there's a tornado coming. It's okay. It's going to be good. Are you sure? (laughs) My house is on fire. It'll be fine. What are you talking about? (laughs) We had this one friend, and I'm from Minnesota originally, and then God saved me and I got to move south. (laughs) But (laughs) I had this one friend, and he was like, I'm so excited to be in Minnesota. I just want to see a timber wolf. I'm like, we... Our friends told me, he's like, you're not going to see a timber wolf. I've lived here, you know, 30 years. I've never seen a timber wolf. He's like, no, God loves me. We're just going to see this timber wolf. I'm so excited. We've been praying about it. God's going to, I just want to see a timber wolf. And we're like, you're not going to see a timber wolf. And a timber wolf pulls a deer carcass across the road. And we're like, let me rub your head. You're a lucky penny. <laughs> the same guy was just like going through this financial stuff in an attack and we're like, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> He's like, I've done nothing wrong. It just looks bad. I've done nothing wrong. God loves me so much. No, you're going to jail. <laughs> Millions of dollars. I didn't do anything. God is with me. They forgave him of everything. I'm like, 
gift of faith? I want a gift of faith to just know that you know that you know that God is with you. That you just know that you know. I don't have that gift, so how do I get it? I've got to renew my mind every day by the word. I've got to renew my mind every day. If I don't have that gift of faith, how else do I get faith? I've got to renew my mind every single day to get into the word to say, okay, God, you've got this. Because this world is going to go crazy on either side of us. And it will be easy to look on either side and say, oh, this looks bad. The same as the Egyptians and the Israelites were there. When it was there, the Israelites could have said, oh, it's bad over there. It's coming. But no, nothing happened in their land. Because God was with them. God's people. You are God's people. You don't have to have the same outcome as everybody else. But would your faith get you into your promised land? Or will it keep you out of the promised land? Wandering in the desert saying, God's providing. God's providing. Live by faith. It's funny that... Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. My mom is over there judging every word I say. But <laughs> we were in, uh, I don't even know where we're at, Ohio. We were in Ohio a few weeks ago, and she was not feeling well, and her ears were clogged up, so she was sick, and she's just like, man, I'm believing for healing, and I just don't know why I'm not healed, and I, I've been healed of bigger things, and now this, and I thought that I'd be healed, and I said, well, Sometimes healing is a process, and, and healing happens, but it takes a process to happen. It says, the, pray for the sick, and they will recover. Like, hang on to that healing. And she's like, what? I can't hear you. I'm like, it's just a problem where, you know, it's sometimes a process where there's a gift of healing, and, a gift, and she's like, what? I said, faith comes by hearing you can't hear. <laughs> That's a joke, but. <laughs> so here's where God spoke to me. In Hebrews 11 and 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now I just read that, and you've heard that a hundred times, so you probably shut me out at the beginning. But listen to that scripture and break it down. Faith is a substance. What is substance? You look it up in the dictionary. Substance is an actual material or particles. Faith is actually tangible of what you're hoping for. Faith is also the evidence of things not seen. How do you know? What is the proof of what you're hoping for? The proof is your faith. This is actually saying that your faith is creating. This is where God spoke to me. He said, people are getting hope and faith mixed up. And I was like, what does that even mean? And this is what he said. This is what you're going to write down. It's going to be so wonderful. It'll blow your mind. And we'll have revival all over again. It says that hope is wishing for the best while faith creates. Faith creates how do I know that? Because it's the evidence. It's not just, I'm wishing. And we do this coin flip with God. I've got faith. I'm believing for the best. No, you don't have faith. You have hope. When you stand up and you say, I know this is happening. 
Why? Because I've got faith in it. This is going to happen. How do you know? Because it says it in the word of God, and I can stand on that. Now your faith is creating it. Your faith starts to create it. God's using your faith to create your breakthrough. Your faith is actually at work behind the scenes creating. When we moved from Minnesota to Tennessee, I was moving with a semi-truck behind us and Chris Crenshaw with a vehicle with a couple cats in it behind us. <laughs> True story. But we didn't have a house yet. We hadn't signed for a house. I didn't put any down payment on a house. I didn't. But why was I able to move? Because I had emails. I had uh, phone calls. I had an agreed upon a price for a house. The evidence that I was going to get a house was there. Enough to make me move. So the evidence of me moving without a house was there was enough conversation back and forth that this house was going to happen. And even if it wasn't there yet, I believed it was going to happen because of our conversation. So the evidence of what I was hoping for in that house was all of the emails and stuff like that. The evidence of what you're believing for is actually your faith putting it together. If you go into um, a Ford or Chevy or whatever, and you say, I want a 2020 vehicle, and they're like, well, it's coming out. Maybe it's out already, probably is. But a 2020 vehicle, and you pay them for it, you may not have the vehicle right away, but you can go in, and the evidence for your vehicle, for enough for you to pay full price for a vehicle that you don't have, is the production line is creating it. You can see it in the process. You can see it in the work. Creating the vehicle, that's enough for you to put your money down and say, I'm ready for that when it's fully done. It's building. It's creating. What happens if you shut down production? How often do we shut down production on God where we stand up here for a miracle and we believe God for a miracle and it happens and we're like, God, I believe this. And this is where God spoke to me. He said, there's a gift of faith and there's a gift of healing. There's a gift of miracles. Sometimes we come forward and we're believing for healing. We receive our healing. But because it didn't happen as a miracle... And it happened as healing. Think about it. It didn't happen the way that we thought in the exact time that we had thought. We may have been healed at the root and it's still manifesting. But because it wasn't that miracle, like, well, what happened? It says a double-minded man, how should he expect to receive anything from God? That's your faith where you stand up and you say, I believe you, God. And then you're like, I don't know if it's happening. And it shuts down the production. It shuts it down. A lot of us, we, we put our faith towards something, and we're there, and it shuts it down. I'm going to read my favorite Bible story here because I can. It's in um, uh, Matthew 14, 22 through 32. This is Peter walking on the water. I want to show you a couple of things in here. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up by himself to pray. If Jesus himself needed to get away to pray, I think it's pretty important for all of us to get alone with God and pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. 
Take note of that. Tossed by the waves already, for the wind was contrary. Wind and waves in the middle of the sea right now. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out to him. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Think about this. There's so much in this story. And I've heard this story preached a million times as well. But a lot of it was like, hey, when you get out there, the wind and waves will be there. Keep your eyes on Jesus or else you'll sink. That's a good message and that's actually true. But. I want to show you a few things in here because a lot of the miracles that we see in the Bible were like, well, that was Jesus. And we just shrug it off as, well, that's Jesus. But Jesus was fully God and fully man. But here, this is fully man, like you and me, walking on water. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can't walk on water unless you're from Minnesota and it's December. Then you can walk on water. (laughs) But you can't walk on water other than that, and here is a man walking on water. You see, he was smart, though. Peter was smart because he saw Jesus walking on the water, and what did he say to him? He said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, well, it's not me. Just stay in the boat. That would have been a bad story. No, but Jesus said, come. And what happened? Peter got out, and he walked on water. You see, Peter wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on the word of God. He was walking on the word that said, come. You see, there's many things in your life in that desert place that are going to look impossible to you. But if God said you can do it, you can put that in the bank. Even if it's walking on water, you can do that. You see, Jesus at the end says, ye of little faith. And I was like, little faith? What are you talking about, little faith? It was already wind and waves and a storm. And this guy's like, is that Jesus or is that a ghost? I don't know. Who is it? Tell me to come. That's not little faith. It's either crazy or quite a bit of faith. I'm like, what are you talking about? Little faith. He got out in the middle of a storm. Probably had to wait for one of the waves to go by to step out. Wind, trying to blow him over, kind of faith. You see, Jesus tells us what he was talking about at the end there. He says, why did you doubt? You see, it's not the amount of faith. Because we know that even with the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's not the amount of faith. It was the duration of faith that he was talking about. Because he says, why did you doubt? You see, he had enough faith to step out and walk on water, but it didn't last. It was the double-minded man that we talked about. It was the double-minded man where he didn't last his faith, and everything looked rough around him, and all of a sudden, that faith didn't keep him walking, and it stopped the production. 
production was enough to get him walking, and then he stopped his faith. And he said, why did you doubt? How many people got a word from God? Maybe you're in your younger, maybe now, whatever, and he said, you can do this. And you started to walk it out and said, I can't do this. I can't make this. God, I can't do this. If you say that, you're right. If you say that and you believe that, you're right. Because there's many things, anything that God calls you to do, you can't do it on your own or he didn't call you to do it. If God called you to do something, it's in your budget, it wasn't from God. (laughs) He's going to ask you to step out of the boat many, many times in life. He's going to ask you to put your faith into production and keep that production working and not doubt and not fear. Because as soon as you do step out of the boat, that's when the devil will give you the option to look around and start to get into fear right away. God, are you sure you want us to do youth conferences? Looks like we're going the wrong direction in our bank account. God, we seem to be sixty, seventy thousand dollars back. Are you sure you want us to do this? God, where are you? Have you brought us out here to die? And then you see the altars filled with students, and you say, worth it. I see what you're talking about now, God. I see what you're talking about. I didn't see it before, but I see what you're talking about now. Can we trust God? Can we believe God? God's looking for believers. People who say, I believe. God, if you've called me, then I'll step out of the boat. God, I will get out. I'm not going to be like the Israelites, God. I'm going to look at the track record, all the faith builders that you've done for me, all the different miracles that you've done for me to show me that you're trying to get me into the promised land, God. You've got this plan for me. You're trying to get me out of this boat. You're trying to get me into a spot, God. I'm sick and tired of the manna. God, I thank you for providing, God, for my everyday need, but God, I'm ready for more than enough. God, I'm ready to enter into the promised land. God, I I just don't want to be in this hamster wheel of just enough to make ends meet for the day. But God, I want to get into the spot where I've got milk and honey flowing, God. Get my faith to that spot, God, where it's actually producing. See, our faith is like a shotgun blast. It hits here, 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 and it just works here and there, and, and, and we wonder, we, we question God. We're like, God, are you bipolar? Because I, I prayed for this, and it worked, and I prayed for that, and, I, and it's our faith. It's our faith that's actually like, I believe in this. Well, I kind of don't. Uh, I'm coming down for healing, but if I don't get healed, then, you know, maybe it'll happen later. I've prayed with people many times. I've prayed with the kid. His mom's like, he's got this sickness. He's sick every single day, and you know, we just want prayer for healing. Will you pray with him? I, I asked the kid, I'm like, you want, do you want to pray for healing? He's like, I don't care. I said, oh, you don't care? I don't care. <laughs> Never mind. How am I going to work with that? How am I going to fight with that? I had one of our relatives call me up and said, this lady has cancer and she's going to die. Um, will you come and, and pray with her? I said, no, I, I don't really want to. And they're like, what? You're a pastor. You can't say that. I said, I can say that. She's been dead for a year. She's just 
walking it out. Why do you say that? Because they were believing for healing while picking out what she would be buried in. They were believing for healing while taking her to the funeral home to meet with people, to pick out her casket. They were planning out her funeral while praying for healing. That's not faith, that's hope. That's a coin flip of saying, God, you could do this, you might not. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see what happens, but I don't really believe it. I said, what do you want me to do in that situation? What it needs is teaching, hearing from the word, and hearing the word of God over and over again. That's what that situation needs. She's got to change her stinking thinking. These promises are real. They're still for today. We got to And what's for us? If we don't know what's for us and what Jesus actually paid for, that's ours as part of our blood covenant. He's already paid for it. Why not receive it? We talk about that with salvation. I told people, I said, sin won't send you to hell. And they're like, what? You can't say that. I can say that. I got the mic. And I'll leave tomorrow, so... Why can I say that? Because it says that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. He covered all the sins, paid for all the sins. So it's not sin anymore. It's are you in Jesus or not? Have you accepted Jesus Christ or not? You can still go to hell 100%. And it says that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. And I really believe that that's for the people that get there and they realize that they're there and Jesus had already paid for it all and they didn't receive it. The same thing is true about healing or prosperity or anything like that. What's paid for with your covenant? What's yours? And we, we, he's looking for believers. He's looking for you to put your faith in it. What, how does salvation work? You don't come to the front and you beg Jesus to die on the cross. That would be ridiculous. You put your faith in what Jesus Christ did. That's why it works, because your faith produces and works salvation. It is actually building and manufacturing salvation because of what Jesus did. Healing. You come down and you're like, God, save me. Heal me. Why won't you heal me? Instead of putting your faith in what he's already done that says, by my stripes you are healed. You don't have to beg your father for anything he's already done. Instead of saying, God, please, please, please say, I rebuke sickness in the name of Jesus. It can't be on this because I have a blood covenant. We think that we are the sick trying to get healed when really you're the healed. You're the redeemed resisting sickness. It's a different mindset. You got to know who you are in Christ. Put your faith to work to produce. God's looking for believers. And today, I just want to encourage you guys to put your faith in the word of God. Put your faith in him again. Get out of that desert spot. Get out of there. God has something for you bigger than you even know. The only thing that is limiting you from your promised land is your faith in what the word of God says. Your faith in what maybe something he spoke to you. Your faith in something that he told you you could do. And you started down that path and said, I don't think I can do it anymore. And then your faith worked again. <laughs> because now you can't do it. Because you put your faith in, I can't do it. 
Your faith is pretty powerful. What are you believing for? The world has captured this idea because it's a biblical principle, but the world has said it actually works, so they're making money off of it. Now we have positivity classes. Think. Think positive thoughts and it'll happen. And they're going to charge you. <laughs> My Bible says, so a man thinks, so he is. What is your faith in? It's got to be in the word. You can't just put your faith in anything. It's got to be in the word of God. I'm telling you, we wouldn't have done youth conferences. We're doing 15 a year now. We've done probably 45 or so now. I don't even know. But we've seen about 3,600 students come to Christ. And we've seen just a whole generation healed, set free. They were cutting, depressed. We prayed with them. We had even a girl last night come up and said, I'm thinking about killing myself. And we're able to pray over and speak life and say, why would you do that? That's selfish. Why is that selfish? Because we need you. We need you. We need you in the army of God. We've got a lot to do together. Don't leave early. We need you. You've got a big plan. And we got to pray with her. And she said, I'll see you next year. I know you will. What are you believing for today? What do you want to believe for? What are you afraid to believe for, but you know you should? Push past it. Push past that I'm having my needs met. Okay? See, when's the last time we prayed just to pray? Just to talk to God? Usually we bring our needs to him. When my Bible says that my needs are met according to his riches and glory, you've already got that as a promise. So you don't have to waste your time praying about your needs anymore. That's already a promise. What about the faith of stepping out to say, God, what do you want me to believe for today? What do you want me to go past my needs? Because I know that they're already met according to his riches and glory. I love that statement because your needs are met not according to my riches, because they wouldn't be met very well. We, we've, this statement is true to us because we do all these youth conferences, and our needs are met wherever we go. But it's according to the church's riches that we're, our needs are met. So sometimes we're having hot dogs, and sometimes we're sleeping on cots, and sometimes we're in nice hotels. And we have catered food from people that were chefs. And it's amazing. <laughs> but according to his riches and glory, what's his riches and glory? Infinite. You look at what he even told the Israelites to build for the temple. That'll blow your mind. The best of the best. Streets of gold, and you're going to say, according to his riches and glory, my needs are met. God has so much for us if we'll push past And put our faith to it. Amen? Did you guys get something out of that this morning? Well, we thank you guys so much for blessing us at this church. We thank you guys for letting Kingdom come here. We are coming here again next year. So join us. Send your students. Come yourself out. 
you'll probably get saved all over again. It'll be good. But we appreciate you guys standing with us and, and even making it possible to do more events. You guys have always blessed us and have always been great to us as a church. So thank you to the pastors. It's an honor to be here and even speak. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources. 